Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming in the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Amen. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment, it's World War II. Uh, You're a soldier in Europe, and you're defending an important strategic position. But you're surrounded by thousands of enemy troops, and they're firing at you from every side with their machine guns and their artillery. There are bullets flying everywhere, There's scorched earth flying all over the place, sending red-hot shrapnel and human tissue up in clouds. And you know that you don't stand much of a chance. You know you've only got very limited defences and you're only a small regiment of soldiers and, and there's no way that you can hold off this huge offensive for very long. People are tired. It's been two weeks. Your supplies are running low. People are wounded and you're losing hope and you're just about ready to surrender. 
then a message comes along the trench from the commanding officer. Something that's about to happen that will change everything. Something is going down. Rescue is on its way. An enormous army is closing and surrounding itself in a trap around your enemies. There's half a million soldiers, thousands of tanks, countless machine guns, hundreds of artillery guns, squadron after squadron after squadron of bombers and fighters for air attack, and they're gathering, getting ready to pounce. Soon. Soon. Well, this changes everything, doesn't it? Changes everything. Courage surges through your veins. You will fight because now you have a reason to keep fighting. You have hope to hang on to. And so you grip your rifle and you grit your teeth and you get back up there and you keep firing away at the enemy and you keep fighting. Why? Where does this hope and this courage and this, uh, this will to keep fighting come from? Well, it comes from knowing that there's what will soon take place has been revealed to you. It comes because what will soon take place is also incredibly good for you, not so much for the enemy. And because what will soon take place is worth hanging in there for, continuing fighting for, suffering, maybe even dying for, to hold that position. Well, I think for most of us in the room, we probably don't equate being a Christian to being at war. But the seven churches and surrounding churches in Asia who were the original recipients of this letter, it might have been a little more of a close thing for them. Now you'll see you've got a little uh, sermon outline there, you would have found it on your chair and on one side you can see a map and you can actually see, uh, it's called Asia in the Bible but it's actually what we would call Turkey today and uh, you can see that ring of those seven churches. Now John who had this vision, who God uh, revealed what he's doing to, he's on a little tiny island uh, called Patmos which you can see a little uh, pink pink rectangle there, and you can see over to the far left there's Rome, and this is only a few generations after Jesus' death and resurrection, and Rome is still the superpower. Rome is controlling this whole area. And for these churches at that time, everybody was against them. The Roman Empire who worshipped the emperor the local peoples and tribes who worshipped a whole range of gods and goddesses, the Jews who wanted the Christians wiped out. Everyone was against the Christians in these churches. They even had people from within, people who sort of snuck in to the churches as spies or as con artists, trying to scam them or trying to cause havoc and trouble and destroy the church from the inside. Not only that, but actually they lived in quite a wealthy and prosperous and multicultural, diverse part of the world. A lot of trade went through. 
There was a lot of money to be had for people in that time and those places. There are a lot of exotic pleasures to be had for those people at that time and those places. How could they keep going? How could they keep following Jesus? How could they keep enduring when it meant persecution? It meant beatings and arrests. It meant their businesses uh, being destroyed, their, lo- their goods stolen, their homes burnt down. It meant some of them being dragged off by the Roman authorities and treated incredibly inhumanely. What could possibly give them the strength and the will to keep going for Jesus, to keep hanging on to being a Christian? But did you know that in 2022, persecution against Christians in the world has gone up? Actually, it's continued to go up over recent decades. According to the organisation called Open Doors, in 2022, more than 360 million Christians face high to extreme levels of persecution and discrimination. 360 million. That's actually one out of every seven Christians on the face of the earth faces not just some persecution but high to extreme. For this one in seven Christians, there's 360 million Christians choosing to hang in there and keep following Jesus means you'll probably be denied education and employment. For many, it means your businesses will be boycotted, maybe even looted or set alight. For many, your sheep, your goats, your chickens, the things you rely on for food and an income will probably be stolen. And the authorities won't do anything about it because they don't care. You may be arrested, attacked, maybe even killed because you choose to follow Jesus. Well, how do you keep going? How do you hang in there and endure? But what if you're not? I mean, I don't think any of us are in that position. What if we're not likely to lose our jobs? Maybe you're not likely to have your livelihood or your livestock stolen or your business looted or not likely here in Australia to be attacked or arrested simply for being a Christian. But what if we live in a world where being a Christian is just dumb, uncool, ridiculous? What if we're constantly told that there's no need for Jesus? What if we're constantly told that actually it's all a load of rubbish? No logical person could believe the Bible. What if we're constantly attacked that Oh, you Christians, you're bigots and homophobes and transphobes and hypocrites. And, and What if being a Christian in our world is just a bit of a joke? And what if being a Christian in this world means we, like the churches back there in Asia, are surrounded by a whole range of temptations and pleasures, of wealth, of exotic interests and pleasures and desires that we can meet 
a world where actually those things that are wrong are held out and presented as good and right, where we're encouraged to do wrong and we're dissuaded from doing right because we live in a world now where wrong is right and right is wrong. How do we keep hanging in there for Jesus, keep following Jesus, when this world is like a tsunami wave going the opposite direction? How do we? How do we keep going when hardship comes? Well, what God has shown to us in this letter is a revelation, a revealing, a a showing to us something that changes everything. And it wasn't just for those churches back then, but actually it's for all churches. You'll notice there in verse 4 that uh, this letter was sent to the seven churches. Now, seven is a number that pops up again and again throughout Revelation, and, and numbers are quite symbolic throughout this book. But seven is a number that all throughout the Bible is very significant. It's a number that means wholeness, completeness, fullness. And so God created the world in seven days. And that was complete. His work of creation was done. And seven here is the number that meets not just these, only these seven churches... But in actually saying this is for the seven churches, it's actually saying it's for the fullness of the churches, the completeness of the churches, all of the churches, in every place, in every time, in every situation. And so this letter is a letter to this church, as well as to every other church on the planet. And this letter says to us, I am showing you what is coming soon so that you will be filled with courage, filled with the hope to be able to hang on as a Christian because I'm showing you what will take place and what will soon take place is very good and what will soon take place is worth suffering dying or fighting for. Well, what is this revelation? Have a look at verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. It's interesting, isn't it? The coming of one person, one individual, is far more dramatic, far more terrifying, far more impressive than a mighty army with an air force and with a navy and with guns and bombs and tanks. 
No, the coming of Jesus is the coming of the eternal God. The eternal God for whom time means nothing. See, God here is shown to us, revealed to us, as the only being so powerful and transcendent that he has no beginning and will have no end. He always was, he always is, he always will be. Now this is a little bit of a play on the name that God revealed way back thousands of years earlier to Moses at Mount Horeb. Moses said, who shall I tell them has sent me? God, you're sending me to the Israelites, but who do I say sent me? You know, some guy in a bush. And God says, tell them, I am has sent you to them. And God's name revealed there, I am, or Yahweh in Hebrew, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. It's a little bit like God saying, I just am. And if you want to know me, look what I do. Look at what I am like. And here we see in Revelation as we open this letter, this description of God, the God who just is, the God who always will be, the God who always has been. Verse 8, have a look. God himself speaks and says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the, the A and the Z, who was and who, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. See, God's the first and the last. He's the one who started history. He predates history. And he is the one who will finish history. And it will all go the way that he has planned it. He is the one and only almighty God. And he is the one who has sent us this message. This message to give us hope and courage. And he starts it in verse 4 by proclaiming to us grace and peace. Grace and peace. See, God sends us his favour and his kindness when actually what we deserve is the opposite of favour and kindness. That's what grace is. And, and he sends us peace, friendship and reconciliation, even though we were enemies and have no right to come and sit at the table with him. But notice this grace and peace doesn't simply come from him who is and who was and who is to come. Now, God reveals something about himself here that's a little bit shocking at first. Have a look in verse 4. It continues. This grace and peace also comes from the seven spirits before his throne. Now, the seven here is the same idea of the seven as we just read a couple of verses earlier. That same idea of meaning the completeness, the fullness, the wholeness, the everything of it. This is the everything, the fullness, the wholeness of God's spirit. Full, complete, divine, almighty. So it comes from the one who is and was and the one who is and was and is to come spirit as well. But, verse 5, and grace and peace to you 
from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus, the one that God had promised for thousands of years, the one who they call the Christ, the promised king, the one who would save and rescue God's people, the one who would destroy God's enemy, Satan, the devil. He's described here as being the faithful witness. Because if you remember Jesus' life and the way that he lived and the way that he died, is he spoke the truth about God and he suffered for it, didn't he? He was ridiculed, he was arrested, he was tortured, he was killed. He is the faithful witness because he continued, he hang, hung in there and then he hung on there. See, Jesus is the faithful witness and he's the faithful witness because he is God. He could faithfully witness to who God is in truth because he is himself God. I mean, Jesus said, you know, that he claimed that he and God the Father are one. He claimed that before Abraham was, I am. He said, I will send my spirit. The Father will send his spirit. We will send our spirit. We are one. And so in a world where we face hostility, persecution, temptation, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit send us grace, favour, kindness that we don't deserve and peace, friendship, forgiveness that we don't deserve. And so we have assurance in God the Almighty. We have assurance in who he is, this triune three-in-one God. The God who has no beginning, has no end. The God whose spirit is the same spirit that moved over the waters and brought this world into being. The God who came down into this world as a faithful witness, suffered and died to rescue us. This God, who he is, gives us security and hope and assurance and comfort. He gives us our courage. He gives us the ability to hang on simply by knowing who he is and that he has extended his grace and his peace to us. See, our ability as Christians to hang in there, no matter what kind of persecution we face, all comes from the same source. All comes from who God is, the assurance we have in the Almighty. Now, um, I wonder if you've ever been trapped in a situation that you just absolutely can't get yourself out of. Nothing you could do could get yourself out of that situation and you're completely at the mercy of someone else coming and helping you. Anyone ever been in a situation like that? I'm going to put two hands up because that's happened to me lots. Um, now, uh, one time, Keely and the kids and I, we were driving somewhere. Uh, I think we were low on fuel. We are heading back home. It was getting late. And as we were driving past the beach near where we used to live, I thought, hey, look, let's just drive out on the beach and just have a little look on the beach for a while. Uh, it'll be great fun, I said. 
you know, nothing will go wrong, I said. It'll be wonderful, I said. And so we drove out onto the beach and everything was fine for a while and we got out there and we got kind of way out and all of a sudden we hit some really soft sand and it just bogged down to the chassis rails. Uh, the tide, meanwhile, was coming in pretty quickly and there wasn't much beach left. Uh, and here we were looking up and down the beach. We can't see another car. There's no one. I'm thinking, oh, this trip home just turned really bad. <laughs> um, you know, we're going to be walking home and uh, calling the insurance company because we're not going to have a car to come back to in the morning. And we're there just thinking the only way we get out of this situation is if someone else just happens to come along on the beach with a four-wheel drive and a strap and can pull us out. Well, you know, we're not in that situation as Christians. We're not, I mean, we're in the situation where we can't do anything to save ourselves. But we're not in that situation of just going, I hope someone comes along, you know, cross your fingers. We're not in that situation of not knowing the future because God has revealed it to us. He sent this letter, this revelation, so that we will know with certainty what's soon going to take place. We know we're not going to live stranded on the beach. We know that we are not going to find ourselves at the end of time thinking, why on earth did I follow Jesus? Because he never came. That won't happen. Jesus came. He conquered, he rose, he will come again. Look at verse 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye, every eye on earth will see him, even those who pierced him. So even his enemies, the ones who are against him, the ones who are still against his people, and all peoples on earth shall mourn because of him. See, like that little illustration of, of being surrounded by an enemy in, in World War II, and, and you know what's coming. You know that your forces are coming and surrounding them, but they don't. But that moment that they realise, they will mourn because they will know that they are in serious trouble. But it's even better than that. Because Jesus completely has his enemies surrounded. Actually, Jesus has already won the victory. He's already won the war. And not only has he only won the war, all those who die on his side, he will raise back to life. See, look back there at verse 5. Jesus, and look at the tense here, the, the, it's talking about things in the past. To him who loves us now and has freed us already from our sins by his blood. See, he already rescued us from our sins. The thing, our greatest enemy, the thing that makes us die and stay dead and face judgment, he's rescued us from that by his death on the cross. And he has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. See, he died 
to save us by his blood, to free us so that he could make us a kingdom who will serve his God forever. He's not going to do all that work and then not come to get us so we can do the thing that he saved us for. Jesus is coming back. He's already defeated the enemy. It's a little bit like uh, sticking to a World War II theme this morning. It's a little bit like the two bombs, atom bombs, that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. You know, you could kind of argue that actually the war stopped then. That's when everyone went, okay, we've just entered the next level. You know, that, that was what ended the war. And the battle still played out until everything was finally wrapped up. But that moment, the war was won. Well, the twin bombs of Jesus' death and resurrection are what have already won the victory. He's already defeated sin and death and the devil. He's already won us the life that we will have forever. And so I wonder, well, I don't wonder actually, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can say pretty confidently that every single one of us in this room who is a Christian, who is following Jesus, every single one of us will have parts of our life, will have situations and circumstances and relationships where we find it really hard to keep following Jesus. I think every single Christian here in this room and in, in the whole world will feel the pressure of this world pushing in us and the, the temptation to throw it in, the temptation to just give up and go with the flow. And so I want you to just stop for a second and I want you to think and identify in your mind what are the places, scenarios, situations, relationships, what are the areas of your life where you find it really hard to keep following Jesus? What are areas in your life where you feel the pressures of this world tempting you to give up and throw it in? Now, you'll notice on the bottom of that outline there, I've left you with two questions. And I would really encourage you guys today, over morning tea, share with one another the answers to these questions. As you drive home in the car, if you drive with someone else, share the answers to these questions. If you don't drive with someone else, jump on your phone and find another Christian friend and say, hey, I was at church this morning and, and I just want to share something that I learned this morning that gives me great assurance that God is in control and he's won the victory. I just want to share with you something this morning from God's word that has given me hope to hang on, the courage to grip that rifle and get back in the trench. But I also want to note that there is a warning here. Here we see the good news of the gospel. Christ died to rescue people for God. But we also see that he is coming to judge all who stay and remain opposed to him. That opposition might just look like apathy. It might just look like not making a big deal about it. 
but Jesus is coming. Verse 7, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Don't be one of those people who will mourn when he comes. Don't be that army surrounded who's got it coming. Switch sides. I want to encourage you, if you would like to talk to someone about how do I do that? What does it look like? Maybe, maybe you need a little bit more information, a little bit more just grappling and understanding what does that mean? Great. Come find me afterwards, right on a slip, pop it in, we'll get in touch with you, catch me over coffee. Don't be a mourner when Jesus returns. Join his team and be with all of God's people who will celebrate. All right, thanks very much. I'm just going to uh, lead us in time prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is good. And we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you that you haven't left us in the dark uh, or on the beach wondering whether you are going to come and rescue us. But you have promised and we know and can have certainty and assurance and courage and hope because Christ is coming. You are the Almighty You are the one who is, who was, and who will be forever. And we pray, Lord, that you will fill us with that courage and that hope, uh, that we would hang in there. Amen.